0: Mountain. The Super Bowl is upon us with a really tough showdown coming between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. It's expected to be a really close game, so naturally I wondered, and maybe you're wondering, you know, does the Lord have some kind of prophetic word as to the outcome of the game? So I inquired of the Lord. I I said, Lord, I beseech thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, wouldst thou give me some intel on who will be victorious in the Super Bowl? Will it be the Chiefs or the Eagles? And would you believe it? You guys are not going to believe this. Behold, at that very moment, it was as if a rushing mighty wind did blow through my study, and verily it riffled the pages of my Bible until they came to rest. And I looketh down, and my eyes felleth upon these words in Jeremiah 23, which says the Chiefs, will find no place to hide. There will be no way to escape. And the next verse says, Listen to the bitter cry of the chiefs, for the Lord has made waste their green fields. Clearly that's a reference to a football field. I mean, what else could it be? I said, Lord, you shocketh me and disappointeth me. I want the the chiefs to win. How will the Eagles win it? And the Lord directed my finger and I found myself pointing directly to Isaiah 40. Verse 31, which saith, they will soar on wings like eagles. So it sounds like a really good passing game. I wondered about the running game. And then it says, and they will run and not grow weary. Lord, I protested, the chiefs are so strong and so good. How could they lose? And the Lord said, Job 12, 21. I looked it up and it says, the Lord pours disgrace on the chiefs and takes away the power of the strong. I said, Lord, be patient. I, I just can't believe it. I want the Chiefs to win. Can you make it clear? And just then, I dropped my Bible on the floor, and as I picked it up, my eyes fell on Numbers 25, which says, seize all the Chiefs and execute them in broad daylight. There you go. Right here in the Bible, folks, couldn't be any clearer. The Eagles will pull out a close one over the Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. You're welcome. All right, guys, we'll see how that turns out. Today actually is gonna be a super day for another reason that's way more important than a football game because today, we welcome Will Hutcherson and Dr. Chinway Williams to help us think about how to help kids and teens through mental health challenges. If you're just kinda joining us here or new around here, we're in a series called Weeds in My Garden where we're we're getting honest about mental health so everyone can find the help and hope that we need. one of the things that is so much on our minds is how much kids and students have been struggling with stuff, especially over the last couple of years, and we don't always know what to do or how to help, and there is no one better suited to help us today than our two speakers who are here today. Will Hutcherson is an author and a speaker and a pastor. He's very passionate about bringing hope to kids and teens who face anxiety, depression, and despair. He leads a ministry that focuses on suicide prevention and mental health issues, and he goes around to schools and churches all over the country bringing hope. He lives in Florida with his wife, Ariana, and their three kids, and he loves 90s R&B and hunting alligators. You'll have to ask him about that. Dr. Chinway Williams is a former professor and currently a board-certified professional counselor and a trainer of counselors who actually owns her own practice in Roswell, Georgia. She also works in schools and churches and nonprofits helping people with anxiety, stress, and trauma recovery and many other important issues, and you'll find her on podcasts and talk shows all over the country. And together, Will and chin Wei have written the Amazon bestseller, Scene, which is about healing despair and anxiety in kids and teens through the power of connection. It's a book that I have read and cannot recommend highly enough to you. Our kids and students pastors feel the same. And I just love how they combine scientific practices with their Christian faith, and they're gonna bring that help to us today. I'm so glad that they're here. Will you give a great, big, hearty mountain welcome to our special guests, Will Hutcherson and doctor Chinway Williams.
1: Well, hello. We are so excited to be with you, and uh, I just want to take a moment and welcome all of you who are watching at a campus. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, if you're watching online as well, thanks for joining. And let me just say, we we travel around. We speak in a lot of churches. I love that you are at a church that is so focused on helping people in a practical way with mental health. So you have an incredible church. So if you're brand new to this church... You've picked a good one. I hope you stick around because this is pretty amazing. And uh, we're honored to be with you today.
2: Yes, we are thrilled to be here. My name is Dr. Chinway Williams. I am a clinical mental health therapist. My practice is based out of Roswell, Georgia, which is a sub- suburb outside of Atlanta. But I've got to tell you, my most important and treasured role is that of a wife and also a mother to three beautiful kids. And in the work that I have done Um, been privileged to do in the last few years, I've got to say that there has been lots and lots of emotional struggle and transition that we've lived through the last few years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a pastor, as uh, Pastor Ben mentioned, and uh, I'm also a parent. So we loved talking with the parents on Friday night. It was absolutely incredible. And uh, I have three kids of my own. You have three kids. I have three kids. So uh, we're the, the three fam here, uh, three fams here. Um, but I have a 12-year-old, so I have a middle schooler, mm-hmm. and I have a 9-year-old, and I have a 6-year-old. And, well, you know, all of my kids are different. I love that about yes. them. And if you have kids, and multiple kids specifically, you know that they, they have different personalities. And mm-hmm. typically, most parents would say that there's at least one sassy kid. Like, you fine. have a sassy kid, I right? Sassy I have a sassy kid. kid. Yes. And you know that kid that, like, when they're born, they're sassy right from day one? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my, my daughter, Reese. She was sassy from day one. Um, in fact, one of the most predominant moments that I remember is when she was three. Um, I was, being a stellar parent, doing something that probably you have never done, I was ignoring my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and, And I was sitting on the couch, I had my phone up, and I was swiping through, looking at something on Amazon, probably buying something I don't need, let's be (laughs) honest. And Reese walks up to me, and she says, dad, dad, daddy. (laughs) At which point I said, yes, Reese, but I never looked up from my phone. Anyone ever done this before? And all of a sudden, this tiny little three-year-old hand grabs my chin and pulls it towards her face (laughs) and says, look at me. And she had never done that before. It was kind of brand new, but again, she's my sassy kid. And at that moment, I realized I had a choice. I could either remind that three-year-old to be patient, or I could remind that, or let that three-year-old remind me to be present. And there's kind of two choices that you have as a parent. And which
2: choice did you
1: make? Which one did I make? I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I chose to be present in that moment. And, and here's, what I, I, here's why I'm telling you that story. There's a reason why. Because Reese at three, year, three years old was showing me something and continues to show me something. All my kids show me this. That they are desperate to be seen. That's why we wrote our book, Seen, because we believe that this is inside of every single one of us. Every single human on planet Earth desires to be seen, whether they're three years old, or 35 years old, or 85 years old. Everyone desires to be seen, and especially now, we are living in a time where we have mental health uh, kind of spiraling in our nation, and we're seeing um, a lot of challenges, mental health challenges, not just amongst the next generation. A lot of our focus is on the next generation, but chances are you're here today and there's somebody in your world that maybe is struggling with a mental health challenge. It may be a kid, it may be a grandkid, it may be a neighbor that you know, it may be a coworker, your spouse, somebody who maybe is just going through a difficult time or they have at least at some point gone through a mental health challenge. And we've all faced this problem. We've wondered, how do I help? How do I support and care for those around me, the people that I love? especially when they're going through a mental health challenge anxiety is at an all-time high right now depression we're seeing depression rates soar despair is really high and there's a lot that we could say of how we got here and we can talk a lot about the whys but the reality is is i think it's just important especially for us today to just pause and acknowledge that this is where we are and ask the question how do we as caring adults and Caring coworkers and spouses, how do we best support those in our world? So that's what we're gonna to share today, a little bit of that. Um, Dr. Chin Wei and I got together and started working on this project actually prior to the COVID pandemic because. It's
2: hard to believe.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe that we started writing scene before um, all of this kind of transpired in 2020 because the mental health crisis was already rising at that point, and in just a few moments, I'll show you a few statistics that kind of show that a little bit more, but we wanted to kind of take all the neuroscience and everything that we know about how God's wired our brains and make it practical so that it's easier to read, because chances are um, you're probably here this weekend, and you aren't really into reading big neuroscience textbooks, like that. that I'm going to take a guess, at least. You know, uh, most people aren't. the Most people don't spend their Saturdays or Sunday afternoons like reading textbooks of this. I mean, I do, but uh, you do. Yes, you do. That's kind of true. part of my job. <laughs> Um, I, I Google it. Uh, no, no, no. And, and so we wanted to take the, the textbooks, the, the knowledge that we've learned and that God's allowed us to learn about this organ within our head and make it really, really simple. And so today we're going to share some very practical tools and a little bit of the neuroscience of why these are effective and how you can help those around you. But first, when we talk about mental health crisis, this is what we're talking about. We are seeing stats Um, that are pretty alarming in our nation. Currently, 28% of adults exhibit uh, symptoms of an anxiety disorder. And the highest percentage of anxiety right now is in adults ages 18 to 29 years old. So we're talking about young adults, college-age students that are seeing elevated anxiety uh, rates. Suicide rates, specifically, have increased by 76% for ages 15 to 19. This is since 2007. And there's even more newer research that um, Dr. Chen Wei and I will be sharing in in coming months uh, that is showing these rates to be up to par with with these numbers. Uh, Additionally, suicide rates have nearly doubled in teen girls, and the highest rate of increase in suicide among all age groups is in kids between 10 to 14 years old. Now, I'm not saying this because I want you to, to... to be like burdened by, or defeated by these stats. But I do want you to know this, especially if you're a parent of a Mm preteen, that this isn't just a young adult problem, this isn't just a teenage problem, that we are seeing trends younger and younger. And what does this mean? It means that we are all, we all have to play a part in helping the next generation specifically to heal, but also those around us. And here's the good news, as you'll find out in just a minute, that there are things that we can do to help influence the brain towards healing. So we're gonna share a little bit of that.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing right about now, you guys are ready for some good news. I gotta tell you, I've been doing this work for close to 18 years. The stats that Will just shared are since 2007. So we've been sort of seeing the trend going in the wrong direction. And when Will and I got together, we both said the same thing. Initially, when we were working with young people, we were concerned and then we became alarmed. So when we see these stats, the tendency is to wonder, like, gosh, what can I do? Like, it feels so big, and it could actually render us feeling helpless because it's so big. But I am ready to share some good news. Are you ready to hear it? Yes! Yes! The good news is God has given us hope. We have so much hope because we serve a god who is all about relationships. And God has wired our brains, this organ that God has created, in our head to be able to respond in predictable and profound ways to love and empathy. So friends, there are 8 billion people on this earth, and God loves each and every one of them, every single one of us, because God is love. And yes, we are living in very turbulent times. Yes, we're seeing elevated numbers of despair, of depression, of suicide um, thoughts and completion, sadly. But let me tell you what the Word of God says right here. The Word of God says in John, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but take heart. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. So that means that God cares about us to the full. God cares about us not just spiritually, he does, not just physically, but God cares about our emotional and our mental well-being. And again, when we look at every single thing that Will has shared and what you guys have been discussing the past few weeks, it could actually make us feel a little bit like we're in despair. But God has given us hope. So again, God is love. So when we are demonstrating love by showing support using the tools that we're gonna share with you today, I want you to know that you are exercising a core part of who God is. God is love. So we're gonna share with you lots of things. And by the way, I want you to know that God gave us spiritual tools, but he also gave us really practical tools. So we have to pray, right? We have to do scripture memorization. Those things help me so much. Um, Meditation and fasting. And there are other tools that God has given us. And what I've been saying for a long time now, and I'm not the only one, neuroscience has finally caught up with biblical wisdom so let me share with you a little bit about what we know about the brain about how god has wired our brain so i want to throw up some graphics well i want to give you some information about what it looks like to have a healthy functioning brain but those of you who are watching right now online or who are here in the audience and if you're studying human anatomy or biology. Please don't throw tomatoes because I know that this is an oversimplification. Remember, Will said that we wanted so much so to sort of condense and make digestible those thick neuroscientific books that nobody has time to read. So, let's begin with an understanding of how God wired a healthy brain. So, let's say that the brain is made up of two parts. So, the brain is made up of many parts, but let's focus on two sides, the left side, or the left hemisphere of the brain, and the right side, or the right hemisphere of the brain. So here we go. The logical side, let's say, is our left side, right? So this is the side of the brain that is really focused on organization, rational thought, logic, advanced planning. You guys, this is the side of the brain that really gets sort of celebrated in school. And if we're honest, celebrated in society. So the right side of the brain is the emotional processing side of the brain. So this side of the brain really houses big, powerful emotions. Emotions like trauma or the feelings of trauma. It houses anger it houses aggression, but a lot of people don't realize that it also houses love. Now there's a structure on the right side of the brain, it's actually in the limbic system called the amygdala. So the amygdala is a tiny little almond-sized structure in the brain. You guys, it's tiny, but it packs a big punch. So the amygdala is where your flight fight and freeze mechanism lives. That's your defense mechanism. And I've got to tell you, that amygdala doesn't care about your logic. That amygdala wants what it wants, when it wants it, and it most wants to protect you. So let me give you a quick illustration. Let's say it's the middle of the night and you hear a loud crash and it wakes you up and you think to yourself, I've got to go downstairs to check out what just happened. Now, by the way, that wouldn't be me but that might be you, so you go downstairs and you see glass all over your kitchen floor and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Is there an intruder? Is there, if you live in Florida, is there an alligator that just came in? Or you've got big salamanders or what do you call (laughs) those things? Big lizards. Lizards, right? I live in Georgia, so I'm thinking bear, but whatever it is, your (laughs) your fight, flight or freeze mechanism is on fire, and depending on the way that you are most wired, you could run away, you could get ready to battle, or you could freeze in place, right? But then you look up, and you notice that there is a picture frame of your family that normally hangs on the wall, and it's no longer there, and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, that's what happened, right? So you had a big emotional reaction and your emotional side got activated as it should have. But then what happened? You concluded that you're safe. This is what happened. And then your logical side kicked in. So in a healthy functioning brain, because we need both sides, both emotional and logical side functions back and forth. Now, friends, here is... The problem. Too many of us, especially the younger generation, have experienced long periods of chronic anxiety or despair, and in a state of chronic anxiety or despair, a barrier occurs. It's almost like a despairing happens, if you want to think of it that way. The left side of the brain isn't able to communicate with the right side of the brain. My friends, I've gotta tell you, this is, especially as a mental health therapist, this is a really tough place to be. Maybe some of you in here have been in that place. Maybe some of you watching online, ooh, fully recognize what I'm talking about. If someone were to ask you, when you're in a deep place of despair or high anxiety, hey, How are you doing right now? How are you feeling? You might say, I don't know. And they may say, what do you mean? Like, uh, Like, what's going on? How are you doing? How do you feel? You may say, I feel nothing. I feel numb. And my friends, the reason why is because the ability to recognize and identify your emotions lives on the left side of the brain, but that barrier causes a fissure, so a separation. So this is a tough place to be. One uh, philosopher calls it the dark night of the soul, and psychological researchers call it psychological detachment. So the hormone that's indicated in this despairing, my friends, you probably know it, is called cortisol. So when you're in a deep place of despair or high anxiety, imagine a leaky faucet of cortisol. Drip, 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 drip. And for a six-year-old who gets called fat, and no one addresses it, no one sees that six-year-old. Drip, drip, drip. I've actually witnessed a six-year-old have a 65-minute meltdown because he was called fat or stupid by a peer or for a teenager, and this has happened so often in my office, where they say to me, Dr. Chen Wei, look, and they hold out their phone, and I'm like, what am I looking at? And they show me an Instagram story where all their friends are having an amazing time, and they weren't invited. Drip, drip, drip. So this is really, really tough. So I've got good news. The good news is God has wired our brains again in very profound and predictable ways. And every single one of you listening today and listening online has the ability to bring both sides of the brain together. And the key to this is what, is in what we know about neuroscience and attachment research. And so as an attachment therapist, and I'll sort of sum it up very quickly, An attachment therapist means that I know that relationships heal, but we also know that relationships have hurt. But can we focus on what God has given us to be able to heal individuals who have experienced high anxiety, despair, or depression? And the hormone that's involved in that, you guys probably know this, oxytocin. So levels of oxytocin, that same hormone, that gets released in the early days and weeks and months of parenting when you are psychologically attuned to your child's every single need. Oh my gosh, are they warm? Are they too warm? Honey, Honey, you know, turn down the thermostat. What, was that a burp? Are they hungry? You're attuned to their needs without them having to say a word. I want you to know that that same hormone gets released When someone feels seen, when you're exhibiting love and empathy, because empathy heals, when you sit next to someone that you love, when someone that you love rubs your shoulder when you're scared or rubs your back when you're hurting, that still happens even as an adult. Your brain routes back or reroutes back to a place of safety and comfort where your every single need was attuned for. We psychologists call that secure attachment. So that is the beauty. That is the way that God has wired our brains for healing. When you feel seen, when you feel understood and acknowledged, you have the ability or when you do that for someone who's hurting, you have the ability to bring both sides of the brain together.
1: So that's the good news. So the neuroscience kind of shows us that research is saying like love can have profound effects in helping to promote healing in the brain. So what that means is that means that we all get to play a part. It's not the only part. We still need therapists. We still need medicine at times to influence healing in the brain. We still need some of the practical things, just like we need practical things in the rest of our body. Like For instance, sometimes we need practical medicine for our heart right, or our kidneys or other organs in our bodies. So we need some practical help. But the good news is is that we can each play a part in this wraparound approach to help somebody when they're hurting and struggling with a mental health Um, challenge or they're in a mental health crisis so we're going to give you kind of two practicals today that you can walk out of here and apply immediately so you saw the neuroscience it comes back to connection so what do we do with that how do we make connection practical and use connection in a way to help influence brain kind of like a brain hack if you will how do we hack the brain in a positive direction all right so you ready here's the first one the first one is to simply show up and slow down Show up and slow down. Now, I know this almost seems too simple to matter, but in our culture, this is kind of profound, let's be honest. We are moving 100 miles per hour. But when it comes to connection, simply showing up is like pushing the Bluetooth button on our Bluetooth devices. It starts the pairing process. In fact, the the reality is is we think a lot of connection is 50% of the work simply just showing up. And we know this intuitively, right? If we have a friend who's in crisis, what do we do? We show up. I learned this early on as a pastor. I remember I was 23. I had a student who had an unexpected death in the family. And at 2 a.m., I got the call, and I knew to just simply show up. But on my way, I picked up his small group leader who happened to be uh, fire chief. And uh, I was trying to think of all the things that I needed to say, Bible verses that I can encourage him with. And I remember this, this, uh, this fire chief kind of telling me, he's like, hey, Will, you don't have to say anything. You just have to show up. It's called the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. And there is power to simply being present and slowing down and showing up. And the neuroscience shows that as well. That eye contact, a soft vocal tone, appropriate physical touch, can start to release that oxytocin and decrease anxiety and despair when somebody's struggling with a mental health challenge. So what does that look like when it comes to showing up? It looks like showing up um, uh, undistracted Mm -hmm. and showing up um, when it's inconvenient. Yeah, thank you. Um, Showing up undistracted and showing up when it's inconvenient. So undistracted, well we are a generation, (laughs) all of us, no matter which generation you're in, We all have a lot of uh, digital devices in our hands. Like, I know people who are senior citizens who have cell phone addictions, Mm -hmm. and I know teenagers who have some cell phone addictions. The reality is is that we are all really distracted, and so when we show up, we have to show up completely and fully. Mm -hmm. And to show up inconvenient, uh, when it's inconvenient, well, if you are a parent of a teenager, then you know what that means. (laughs) Because chances are... Your teenager wants to talk at midnight or 1 a.m. Like that's the time that they want to have a conversation about life's deepest problems. Um, But the reality is is we never know when somebody who's struggling with anxiety or despair when they're really gonna be ready for a conversation. So we have to be willing to, yes, show up undistracted, but also to show up when it's inconvenient. And here's the reality. This seems simple, but the simple act of showing up, being fully present, just slowing down face to face with people, It's 50% of the work because when we show up, the end result is they feel loved.
2: I guess. And so the second tool that we want to talk about today is to see them. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a friend, maybe a best friend or, or maybe a spouse or someone you dated where you were like, this person really gets me? perhaps you guys had a shared interest or shared experience or maybe even shared history, but whatever it was, you felt like you guys were like totally in sync. So if you have ever felt that way, I want you to know that that's what it means to feel seen, to feel like somebody really gets you or they're trying to make the effort to get you. So I believe that seeing someone also includes being willing to look beyond behavior that's perplexing, looking beyond behavior that might be offensive, looking beyond behavior that is unfamiliar to see what's the emotion underneath that behavior. So let me give a quick illustration of what this might look like. Let's say you are a leader and you have an employee that's constantly late, underperforming, and this is sort of a recent occurrence, and they're having productivity issues and you're like, what is going on? And inside you're like, we can't have this. I can't run my organization or my business this way. So I've gotta go in and have a really stern conversation with that employee. So what I wanna offer you is to have that in your mind, we all would, right? but to pause and ask yourself, like, what might be going on with that employee? And maybe when you have a conversation, not asking about the performance or the deadline that they've missed or the project that they fell short on, but asking them instead, how are you doing? Are you okay? And then you hear, perhaps, because I know this has happened to me, something like, "Hmm." My mom was just diagnosed with dementia and she keeps eloping and my brothers and sisters, we just don't know what what to do. She'll just walk out in the middle of the night. Or my child was just diagnosed with a terminal illness. So my friends, we don't really know more than just the tip of the iceberg that a lot of people show up with in work or ministry. We, We often don't know what would it be like to pause and really investigate this is the behavior that I'm seeing, but what is happening? What emotional turmoil might be going on inside? So um, there's so many countless examples that we can give uh, for kids or teenagers, and so um, I'm gonna pause for now, but think about that. When you go home today and you see your child and they're behaving you know, oddly or offensively or even disrespectfully, maybe you can pause, acknowledge what it is that you're seeing, and acknowledge that there may be something else that's going on. So there's a tool that I wanna share with you that may help with that. It's a tool that Will and I use. I've used it in my therapy practice for years and it's called the Feelings Wheel. And it should come up in just a moment. There it is. You're not gonna be able to see all the feelings in there, but what's important for you to know is that we actually have more than three emotions, (laughs) right? Most of us um, identify being mad pretty easily being sad, and maybe being glad or happy. But the truth of the matter is, we have something close to 87 different emotions and experiences. So what would it be like to expand your emotional vocabulary? Because this is what the literature says, this is what the research says. When we're able to recognize our emotions beyond happy, glad, or sad, maybe there's disappointment. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe there's contentment, right? When we're able to go a little bit deeper with our emotional language, we're then able to regulate our emotions, and then we're able to actually recognize difficult or tough emotions in someone else. And when you're able to do this, my friends, this is what you offer a kid or a teenager or a young adult or your spouse or an employee. The ability to emotionally exhale. And that, my friends, helps people to feel seen. So when you see a kid or a teenager or a young adult, they feel understood.
1: So whether it's your spouse, whether it's your mom, your dad, your coworker, your neighbor, uh, a kid or a grandkid, we just want you to know, and, and, and again, this, this almost seems too simple to matter, but your love matters. Your empathy matters. Your presence matters. Helping them to emotionally exhale matters. It actually has profound effects on the brain and it can influence the brain towards healing. So it's not the only thing, mm-hmm. but you matter. Your voice matters. Your love matters and it can influence the brain towards healing. That's really good news. Mm-hmm. But let me say this, because maybe you're here today and this whole time we've been talking, you're like, you know what, we don't need any of this feelings mumbo-jumbo stuff. We just need to suck it up. We need resilience. We just need to have more faith and just keep going and just shake it off like Taylor Swift would. (laughs) And I get that. We do need resilience. We do need to have resilience in the next generation, but the reality is is our culture has changed tremendously. And it's not just technology's fault. We have consistently, decade after decade after decade, we've gone to a culture of disconnection. And I really think it's affecting our mental health. So we can't just go back to the good old days unless we're willing to connect in real, authentic ways, to slow down, to have more conversations, to see one another. To have more empathy with our neighbor and our friends and our family members. To Just simply be more present even. And today, maybe you're here and maybe you're desperate for somebody to see you. Maybe you've come here today and you don't normally come to church. But you're just really struggling. Maybe you heard there was a mental health challenge or mental health series and you thought you'd come just to see what the church might offer. Well, I can tell you from my life, I love talking about mental health and the ways that we can apply love to help somebody heal. But I can tell you the thing that's helped me and changed my life the most is knowing that there's a God who sees me. I believe the human soul needs to be seen by both our Heavenly Father and by those around us. And so. If today you need to be seen by your heavenly father i want you to know god sees you he sees you he sees your pain he sees your story he's never left you he's never abandoned you he's been with you the entire time and it may feel like you're a million miles away from him but i want you to know you can take a thousand steps away from jesus but it only takes one step back to him because he's never left you. Mm. He's never forsaken you. Yes. Or maybe you're here today and you have somebody who's on your heart that you really are concerned for. I just want to pray with you as we pray for them or those of you who just need to be seen. I'm going to pray that, that you would know and feel the presence of God right where you are, right where you're watching today. Would you pray with me all across our campuses, those online, would you bow your heads and Close your eyes as we pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you see us. You see our brokenness. You see our humanity. God, you see our mental health challenges. God, you see us. And God, we pause and we acknowledge that today. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you saw us so much that you sent your son Jesus so that we could have hope. God, today I ask for those who feel like they're not seen. I pray that your spirit would wrap around them, your presence would wrap around them, that they would know that they are loved by the God of all creation, Mm -hmm. that you see them and you care for them. God, for those of us who have people in our lives that are struggling, I pray that your love would shine and flow through us, that we could be a vessel of healing as they're dealing with mental health challenges. God, use us. Help us to love deeply. Help us to show up and help us to see people just a little bit more today. I thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,
2: amen.